give me a moment's peace and take out the trash. We pay taxes for people to come and take the garbage. Hey, listen, Greeny, no more sneaking rides to the junkyard. Yeah, man, take a taxi when you want to go to the junkyard. Hello and welcome to Hot Trash Unlimited, the show where me, Joe, and me, Caleb, go to the cinemas in search of movies that could or could not potentially be hot trash. Caleb, what did we see this week? We saw Knock at the Cabin. We're not here to hurt you, but you have to stay here in the cabin with us. Families throughout history have been chosen to make this decision. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. We're not sacrificing anyone. For every no you give us, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. It's really happening. Speedheart, close your eyes. Will you make a choice? You have to somehow trust us. We're normal people just like you. It doesn't matter. None of us believe you. We will never choose anyone. The latest from returning director of the pod, uh, M. Night Shyamalan. I believe our first returning director. Although In a directing role. Yes. Yeah, we've had some people who have written, some people who have produced. Obviously, we've had history with many directors. But we had a whole episode on old, a.k.a. the beach that makes you old. And now we have Knock at the Cabin, the cabin that makes you make a decision. Yeah, I mean, I'm not at the cabin. I don't want to put too much responsibility on the cabin. Okay, well, clearly you weren't watching this close enough because the cabin is a character within itself. Mm-hmm. It's really the environment that, uh, that brings this movie together. Joe, what is Knock at the Cabin about? Knock at the Cabin is about a couple of dads and their daughter, Wynn. What are, what are dads? Eric and Andrew? Mm-hmm. Eric and Andrew. I believe Andrew is the angry one and Eric is the... Is Not the, so angry one. Yeah. Jonathan Groth one is Eric, I believe. And they're, and they're, you know, they're on a little vacay in the cabin. Wynn's out catching grasshoppers in the woods when all of a sudden, big old Leonard Dave Batista walks up. Has there ever been a man who can more accurately be described as barrel-chested than this man. You can, you can show up and be so gentle, and then, but man, you know something's off. <laughs> I know we'll get to the window in a little bit, but man, lots of opportunities to giggle at the size of this man in this very unmuscular situation. Yeah, he comes up, he's talking good old Wynn, and she's like, I'm going to leave now because uh, you got some weirdos coming up. And he's like, oh no. These are, this is the family that I must, my quest has brought me to. We, there's four of them and they're like, Hey, you got to kill one of your loved ones so you can stop the apocalypse. Yeah, there and, is. And that's the movie. There is, there's uh Dave Batista who's a second grade teacher. Rupert Grint is the homophobic, maybe Boston, maybe Southern, maybe British, definitely British man. <laughs> and then there's a nurse and a, and a cook. Yes. So just normal, everyday people. Those are words that would never describe Dave Batista, but here we are. Here's the thing. Dave Batista acts very normally. Yes. It's just, man, he's built like an absolute unit. I, they're aware. Like, I think yes. there, there is a, they're using the, the visual distinction to it's, throw you for the loop with the rest of the ambiguity in this movie. It's like whenever Arnold played a normal person, like yeah. in a, the Christmas movie he was in. Jingle All the Way. Jingle All the Way. Or he's just a dad. Yeah, very hard to buy, but you know, you like the actor enough, you you look past their... I'll say that one's different just because they're not using him being a hulking guy to set uh, a certain tone. Yeah, there is a worry in this because he is physically imposing in a way that 
The other three people aren't. But he never uses his physically imposing self, really. Once or twice, but he he definitely never uses it unless it's provoked. Yeah. But yeah, they had to make a decision or else the world will end. There are steps to it. Each of the people represents one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Or do of. they? Let me go and get this out of the way. They, they, they make very direct saying things. Oh, they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They name them. None of those are the names of the four horsemen. No, no, they are not. But I do wonder if the colors match up. It's been a minute since I've read Revelations, but Dave Batista is wearing white. And as we know, D- Death rides in on a white horse. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about yellow, green, and red, which I believe are the other colors, but I picked up on them doing the four horsemen thing. Oh, yeah. It's pretty obvious. Before they say it. So, yeah, even if they maybe don't stick the landing on it. And, you know, it's just. It's one of those, uh, what would you do in this situation type movies? Yeah. So Joe, what would you do in this situation type movie? Is, is, is this how we're doing the podcast is what would you do? Oh, uh, why not? <laughs> At what point would you crack? I don't know. I see. I feel like I would end up being the terrified Jonathan Groff at the end. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm so firm in my, uh, trauma as daddy Andrew to be him throughout the entire time. I feel like there was a natural pro- progression with how the so-called apocalypse was presented and them figuring it out. Because in something like this, especially when you have like such a bullheaded character like Andrew, it could so easily be like, okay, you're just being stupid now. Like there's clearly things going on. But I think they set how like, this is stuff that's been going on with how they present the news footage and the overall ambiguity throughout the entire thing. Andrew is a, can be a kind of frustrating character. And the, the movie's aware of this. So yeah. It's in a writing issue. But, you know, he has a temper and it, it can be kind of grating at times. But when I, where I do agree with him is when he's like, I don't care if this is actually happening or not. I value my family over everything else. Yeah. It's like the, that movie Weathering With You. I really mm-hmm. like some of the decisions the characters make that obviously aren't the right thing to do, um, but are things that make sense. Um, I'm way too superstitious to, <laughs> to go all the way and have all four plagues be released before i bought into it yeah you've seen the trailer supposedly i mean caleb will put some of the trailer into this Mm -hmm. the trailer does this movie dirty of showing parts of the apocalypse happen yeah well really just one shot i think Uh, but it's the most convincing it's it's the part where everything starts to not unravel but like it's harder to it's harder to deny it yeah yeah which i think is the biggest disservice to the movie that could have done because everything else that's presented it's like you don't know if it's actually happening even uh, Andrew points out it's like this was like pre-recorded stuff like there's certain stuff that's not lining up and you can see the horsemen getting like a little like aggravated they're like not getting it <laughs> well and they have some doubts too which I think is believable like, yeah there's a brief conversation between two of them where they're like is this real are we really doing no we've committed we have to do yeah. this. let's let's start by talking about when because M. Night Shyamalan has an interesting approach to his to directing his actors yes he's not going for realism ever i think he's going very much for like a more emotionally uh impressionistic kind yeah, he of he goes for sincerity however he may like get to it i think it's beyond sincerity i think he's like a lot of directors will be like will come up with the emotion they want their actors to have and then like go through conversations to try to, to get, get them no i think he just goes up he has like a big old chalkboard or something and he writes sad angry conflicted i think that's my biggest problem with Shyamalan with me is that i can never really connect with his characters the one time that this worked was with i i like i like unbreakable a lot but that's i don't think bruce willis is a good actor in general 
And I think that like his being a bad actor kind of circumvents the way Shyamalan like presents his characters and kind of like negates it. But here we have a lot of good actors. And I think I wanted to focus on Wynn because like I feel like whenever she's not having to talk, she has really good reactions to things. Oh, yeah. She's great. Like uh, a bad child actor you would so quickly like tank this movie yeah but i think when she does talk the most like glaring issues with Shyamalan's directions come forth both his weird perspective on how these characters should act and also it's a kid uh the movie the movie kicks right off it really doesn't waste any time in getting to the main thing and it starts right off with the weird Shyamalan-esque dialogue batista and winter talking and like yeah it's weird but like it didn't persist for me. Like, like, sure, there's moments where it's like, I don't know how, I can't say how someone would talk in this situation. Probably not like this, but like, for the, it's not any really weird, like, ethereal questioning going on for the most part. It's like very straight to the point, which was refreshing. The first conversation was the roughest, I think, both in performance and how it's written. Yeah. There are two other writers on this. Um, who are both kind of up and comers. Yeah, I don't know anything about the production of this movie, but I assume they would have written the script and then when Shyamalan picked it up, he would have done a pass. I do feel like some of the characters speak very humanly. I'm mm-hmm. thinking especially like the uh, the cook. Uh, she has a lot of like very... Sabrina. Yeah. No, Adrian, Adrian. Adrian. She has a lot of very real dialogue, but then Dave Bautista never talks like a human being. I feel like it's more intentional with him because they're, they're trying to ride that ambiguity thing as long as they can. And I think they're succeeding for the most part. It's one of those things where I feel like the movie's kind of at a, having a little bit of a tug of war between mm-hmm. some of its characters. That being said, Dave Bautista's I, I think he's doing a good job. Oh, he's doing great in this. I like Dave Bautista anyway. I'm always going to like be a little bit more inclined to what he's doing. But I know like you, you've you had some trouble with, not trouble, but you know you haven't always liked the roles he's picked. No, I think he's generally like a pretty good actor. I when, Whenever there, I have a problem with him in a movie, it's usually not him. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not him I'm having a problem with. I don't like Drax and Guardians of the Galaxy. That is not his decision to act like that. Though. Yeah, you don't like the way he's written. I don't, yeah. I don't like how anyone in Guardians of the Galaxy is written. So. I, but I, like uh, Hell to Artemis, he's great in that. Oh, yeah, man, he is really good in that. Obviously, like the popular one that gets brought up is Blade Runner uh, 2049 a lot. He's like barely um, in that movie, though, isn't he? He's only in the first scene. But, but he's good. Yeah, and it's yeah. the first time he was kind of doing a dramatic thing. But this, I would love to see him do more roles like this. You know, he talks about the kids he's like helping at the at the after school program and all that. And I'm like, I'll watch a movie where he's a teacher. As silly as it is to have this giant like tattooed man be a second grade teacher. I believe that he's a good teacher. Yeah, because well, he's having to ride this like such a fine line of being like imposing, mysterious but also sincere mm-hmm. and he's, he's really not changing his inflection at all the entire movie. But even when he's talking about his kids and how much he loves them, how like touching he finds the family and stuff, he's not changing his inflection, but he's somehow delivering it to where like you're convinced the entire time. Yeah. What do you think about the, uh, not the, how the apocalypse is laid out, but how like our characters navigating it? Uh, I think it's pretty convincing. There's a couple moments where it's a little too like I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this because they they do a thing of instead of showing you like I don't know the family getting to there in the beginning they do they they frame all of the development in flashbacks because no, they're, they're they're pretty stagnant characters for what's taking place in the present and they do that in a way to where you can understand where both of them are coming from mainly Andrew really because Andrew Andrew's the one with the most uh, stuff holding him back 
from buying any of this. And I think it's good for the most part, but unfortunately, just the way this movie ends has everything fall a little flat. I don't know. I think this movie needed a definitive ending because I thought there was going to be like the, the twist of who knows what was going on or mm-hmm. or like it wasn't real or something like that is definitive but i think it would have been a bad ending so i think having it be like they actually did solve it was good just how they got there and i don't know where that where the misstep was either but how they got there just didn't quite get it there for me or convince me of the two characters because it kind of it kind of just feels like something snaps Mm -hmm. and they're like they're for it or at least eric's for it yeah because well the steps that takes they get two kind of like planned out deaths or at least like it's going how the horsemen were ritualistic deaths yeah and all this time eric has a concussion which you know makes you question exactly how he's seen things Mm -hmm. but then they're able to make a temporary escape which allows them to just get the upper hand they end up killing one of the other horsemen which still technically counts as a ritual death uh, kind of, but I, I don't want to get into like the mechanics of like, what I think it's because Batista beats her. So for me, that's when things start to unravel for them. That's yeah. when they start to be like, okay, we are no longer playing by their rules, but things are still happening. Yeah. I mean, there's also the part where the most like severe thing of like the planes just crashing yes. for no reason yeah. happens. How many planes are flying over a city at one point? How just how many planes are in the airspace at like passenger planes? Because it said specifically passenger planes. Yeah. Well, when they grounded everything during 9/11, you know, it was it was several hundred. Mm-hmm. Like I think like around five six hundred planes were grounded. Hey hey, this is editing Caleb from the edit. Uh, this number was wildly off. It was like half that number of planes. So, yeah, I got that one wrong. So, like, I can get a lot of planes, especially worldwide, but that but one then 10 shot, in the same city. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> and it's a city with skyscrapers too. So, I'm like, you already have like limited fly space. space yeah. yeah, not a problem with the movie, just a fun, much like the window where they think Dave Bautista has jumped out of the smallest window ever made. Okay, to be fair, they question it for a second and they're like, he couldn't have done that. Yeah. He's in the shower. Yes, yes. But so it's really funny. <laughs> that, that seems also just funny because they lock him in the bathroom and they're like, wait, we don't know what he's doing in there. And then they open it back up like almost immediately. There's not like a thing of dialogue in between or anything. Well, and it's also just it's Dave Bautista being a big guy in a little room. Yeah. And like the visual of it is pretty funny. And a very dainty blue room. You know, that's why I'll give this movie, I think, especially over what he was doing on old. I think for the most part, Shyamalan's technical decisions really work work here i'm not yeah. always i'm not always buying the character stuff or the dialogue but you know it, it, this is one of these things where i can't call Shyamalan a bad director oh no he's a craftsman with yeah. those camera movements it's just not a director i necessarily can always connect to emotionally yeah also just beautiful location yeah um, it's been so cold and like dreary the past two months in uh in center of the plague nashville tennessee of the x9 virus of the x9 virus Man, I would love to go to a cabin for a weekend. There's a couple moments that are a little too, uh, that you were talking about, like when the tidal wave's attacking. They, they say, we just got this footage in, but then they say it's live footage, but it's a guy who's not reacting to filming this tidal wave, and then it hits, but the camera's still going. It's like, where did you get this footage from, movie? Like, it's fine. Yeah. How do you feel about uh about Shyamalan's cameo in this one? Uh, I mean, after the really egregious one that he was with old in his last movie, yeah, this one's fine. Yeah, that's the kind of director cameo I expect, where you are just a kind of throwaway thing in between. 
I never know exactly why he does these cameos. Like, cause some of them aren't cameos. Some of them are just full on roles. roles yeah. In um, old, in old, it's a role. Old, yeah. Signs. He yeah, plays it's a, a big full role. on role. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I don't think he's a good actor, so I would much prefer him to be in a to be in a small role. But I still find it super distracting. And uh, it's, I, it's I can't get mad because you know you're just expecting it. Like at this point, well, yeah, it's the thing where it's like I'm expecting it and I don't know where it is. Maybe I need to spoil that for myself every time I go to a Shyamalan movie. It's like, okay, where is he? <laughs> but then again, him coming back in old was the real twist. <laughs> that part was so wild. Like I said, I just can't like buy into Shyamalan movies. Mm-hmm. I wish I could. This one, I at least, I don't think it's like old or like glass where I think those are just bad movies. Yeah. This one, I think, is like a good movie that I just can't buy into. I, I think the main problem with it is that like you get the premise and that's really all the movie gives you. Yeah. And, and granted, it's it's a nice tight hour and a half, which I think is what he excels at when he's got, he's in a very limited space. He's not having to go crazy with effects and he's just working with people in the space in a tight time frame. Yeah. And he's able to break it up with occasional flashbacks so that the audience doesn't get bored. Yeah, I, but I think the main problem is it's just like, it ends and it's just like, oh, okay, it's over. But I, do you want to know the book ending that this was based off of? Yeah, sure. Okay, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> so during, during the gunfight tussle between uh, Leonard and Eric and Andrew, Wing gets shot. Mm, don't like that. Don't like that, but it doesn't count because it's accidental. They didn't choose to do that. Uh, Leonard still goes with killing himself or whatever. Like he starts to do you must choose or whatever. But Eric and Andrew decide not to do it, that they'll face whatever's going to happen together. And you don't know. You just don't know. So much of the finale of this is Eric pointing out that's like everything we do, we're doing for win. Yeah. And like we can't let the world end because of her. Yeah. So like I don't man, that's like completely different. It's completely. Yeah. Um, I think I think he made a good decision in changing it. Yes. I think the problem with it is just, man, that's a really tough thing to process through. And mm-hmm. I, I think you see that with the characters. It's like they're not quite sure how they're processing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what is a funny scene, but like I get the emotion he's going for with it where they keep turning on and off boogie shoes. <laughs> I understand like thematically and narrative wise what that scene's trying to do. It's just it's a funny scene. Uh, well, I mean, it's 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 a combination of like there's no clue how to process what just happened. But also there is like that relief that's like, okay, we made the right decision, we think. Yeah. So like. Yeah, it's a situation where it's like, uh, even if you didn't make the right decision, you kind of have to convince yourself you did, you did to go right on. Decision, yeah. It's a hard ending to process because the characters are having such a tough time. And this is not the type of movie where you can like jump ahead and see. Exactly. They give you a little flash of what could be happening. But just like everything else, they want to have a certain level of ambiguity there. Mm-hmm. And also like, you don't know what happens in between the flash forward and where yeah. they end things. So like, you don't know how they heal from that, but interesting movie. Uh, well, you were dreading this coming to into it. Yeah. The, I thought the trailer looked so bad and I'm not sure what it is about the movie. I think it's cause you don't see a ton of Jonathan Groff in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a lot of the horsemen and you get a lot of uh, like Batista interacting with when. Yeah. And that stuff, you know, it plays out in the movie and it's not my favorite stuff, but I think Jonathan Groff really like one, he's a cute guy, which helps. But two, I think he's able to ground things really well. Because Andrew's such a big character. Batista is not a big character, but he's a big presence. Yeah. Wynn can't really carry any of these scenes. Mm-hmm. So J- Jonathan Groff is doing a lot of heavy lifting here. I think maybe that helped a little bit. And then I also think it's not old. It's not trying to be this big. Like, yes, there's a mystery that's unfolding, but the central dramatic question stays the same. Exactly. Um, which I think helps. So like, what's the dramatic question in old? 
uh, I don't know. Should you cherish the time you have? I yeah, like <laughs> Old Left, such a bad taste in my mouth. And I also there's just a lot of other Shyamalan movies I don't like. But this one's this one's up there. It probably goes. It probably it goes below Unbreakable. And I haven't seen Sixth Sense, but uh, definitely had a better time than I was expecting with this. Yeah, I'm not like coming out of here like loving it or anything. But I'm I'm just like, yeah, I enjoyed it. Pretty good. Yeah, not like amazing. I, I, I'm not. I'm not. It's not like. What was his like comeback movie, like The Visit or whatever? Mm-hmm. Where people were like, "Yeah, he's back." I'm so it's like, nah, it's just a good movie. Yeah, which I don't think it needs to be saying anything. It's just a good movie. Which is the thing with you know, if you look at the narrative of Shyamalan's career, you know, he he makes it with like two huge big hits, and he starts getting touted. You know, he gets people are calling the master him, of horror, the master of yeah, twists. they're calling him Spielberg, they're calling him Hitchcock, and like you just can't keep hitting like hit, batting a hundred. So eventually he has movies that fall off. But I think this is like the right space for him when he's just like doing kind of small movies that are still very high concept. Yeah, super mid-budget that aren't requiring a lot of like locations and yeah. CG and all this stuff. I'm not, I'm not like spelling out like, I hate CG in movies, but like he's keeping it all very small scale in camera. Yeah, and I think I'm more interested in the type of actors he's working with than he did earlier in his career. You know, people like Bruce Willis or people like Mel Gibson were big movie stars. Mm-hmm. Dave Bautista is a pretty successful guy who's in a lot of supporting stuff. But he's not a leading man. Yeah, Jonathan Groff is a very successful stage actor who has had some good roles in movies, but he's not going to be leading up a big franchise. And I think I think that is the level of actor he needs to start working with more. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad we did end up going to see this. I was I was getting ready to be very performatively angry. Kind of like I was in the old review, um, just kind of playing up my natural dislike for the film. But yeah, I don't have a natural dislike for this. I was checking my watch near the end. I was like, yeah, okay. yeah, it does. It, it drags a little bit. I, it's just I never could get that full investment to. But, you know, well, the question remains of whether or not it's hot trash. Well, I do have one thing first. Maybe this is partially why the film won me over in the small way that it did. Uh, they do make reference to my favorite animated movie of all time. Kiki's Delivery Service. Wynn's favorite movie is Kiki's Delivery Service. Great taste, Wynn. Uh, you you have a bright future ahead of you. But I just want to remind you, Joe, what happened to the last animated project that uh, that Shyamalan claimed to be a fan of? Avatar. Do you think we're going to get Shyamalan's <laughs> live action Kiki's Delivery Service? Infinitely more adaptable. Yeah, but what would he do with it? <laughs> yeah, that's a question. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, this isn't hot trash. No. It's, you know, it's a movie that with caveats I'd recommend to people, I'm probably not going to seek it out again. And it definitely isn't like getting me to buy into the next Shyamalan project, whatever it is. But I mean, I'm always interested in what he has to do like that. That is a filmmaker through and through. I'll give him this. I don't think he's like I said, don't think he's a bad director. Yeah. That's not for me. Yeah. All right, Joe, we're going to have another returning director. <laughs> One we are. <laughs> One, we were not as kind to. Well, I can't say not as kind to because I was pretty mean at Shyamalan during the old episode. But um, <laughs> We were definitely mean to her. Yeah, so we're going to look at Elizabeth Banks' next movie, Cocaine Bear. Local legend for these, for these parts. Should we, go, should we go to the forest where it took place and record live? Oh. I think it's like three hours away, it so is. it definitely <laughs> would be worth it. <laughs> it's in Knoxville. Oh, I would have to go to Knoxville, which... Yeah, yeah. Infinitely less interesting true story, too. I'm joking. East Tennessee is a lovely place. I just really hate the vaults. I'm not. All right. Well, we will see you then. Did we say it was Cocaine Bear? Uh, I don't know. Cocaine bear. I never know how to end these ones. (laughs)